people in other pulpits like I am today are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, like every other day, we're going to proceed with business as usual. We're going to do so by beginning a new sermon series on the gospel of John. The gospel of John. And in order to start this sermon and to start this series, I would like to start exactly where John starts. I would like to read the introduction to John's gospel. And I'm going to do something we don't normally do, but I'm going to ask you to stand. You can follow along. If you're not physically able to stand, that's fine. But I'm going to ask you to stand. You can follow along in your own Bibles, or I will put it up there in front of you. But I'm going to read all 18 verses of the introduction to the Gospel of John. And you just heard a great portion of that sung for you. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we all have received or we all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Amen. You may be seated. Father, I pray as we enter into this new sermon series on the wonderful gospel according to John, Open our eyes that we would see Jesus, that we would believe and have life, that we would be encouraged in our faith, confronted in our unbelief, challenged in our discipleship and and how we follow Jesus Christ. May we also be challenged in our testimony of sharing the gospel with other people in the darkness of this world, that the light of Jesus might shine. Amen. Have you ever known someone who misses really obvious things? Now, normally when I say something like that, I say, don't, don't point. But in this case, it's probably okay because they won't notice it. <laughs> but, but don't do it anyway because it's rude. But you know that those people that you're watching something, maybe a movie and something hilarious, and, and everybody just busts out laughing and they look at you like, what? What happened? You know anybody like that? 
These are the sort of people you could be in a car driving down the road and, and like a UFO could land on the road in front of you and everybody in the car just gasps. <gasps> and the person goes, what? What is it? People miss things all the time. And we wonder, why? Why do they miss it? Why can they not see what's right there? We all see it. Why don't you see it? What's different? When I start working on a sermon series, I start doing a lot of background reading and and studying in the text and outlining and and changing my ideas and and confronting my misconceptions. And and throughout that, I start what I would call a working title for sermon series. And it's always my prayer and hope by the time I get to the actual first sermon that I've come up with something much more clever. Uh, that didn't happen this time, so this is what we've got. Don't miss this. It's, it's not very clever, but I couldn't come up with anything better. Because as I walked through the Gospel of John, as I read the scholars' interpretations of it and, and looked at why John does what he does and how he does what he does, I was confronted over and over and over again with this theme in John. This is Jesus. Don't miss who he is. And along with that, the truth. So many people do. They miss it. Continue to miss it. We still do today. Now, just to give you a a, a bit of an idea of how we're going to do this series, this is a rather lengthy book in Scripture. Um, One of my, I would say, heroes in ministry, a guy by the name of John Piper, he preached through the book of John, and I think it took him close to three years, and I think he retired before he was finished. We're not going to do it that way. (laughs) Uh, I, I appreciate Piper and what he does, but I don't think I could hold your attention that long. So, we're going to go quickly. And that's not because I want to be lazy. In fact, honestly, it's easier to go slower because I can study smaller passages at a time. But John lays out his gospel in a series of accounts, stories of Jesus' interactions with people. And yes, there is benefit to dig in and pick out all the theological themes, and we'll do some of that. But there is great benefit in the whole picture of what's going on in those encounters. So that's my goal throughout this sermon series. We might be done by the summer, definitely by the end of summer. That's kind of my goal. We'll see how it goes. But I want to look at the big picture of who is Jesus in the book of John. And today we're going to look at the introduction. We're going to study all 18 verses of this passage. uh, And we're going to introduce the book and talk about John a little bit. Some pastors would take four to five weeks just on these verses. So some of you might think, oh, he didn't touch on this. He didn't talk about this. That's the way it goes. I want to get the big picture. But before we can get into that passage, we need to know some details about John and his gospel. And if you have ever read the New Testament, specifically the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that John is very different. It's a very different gospel. It has a completely different feel than the other gospels. He has different stories in it that the other gospel uh, writers don't include. He has stories and accounts in his gospel or things that he leaves out of his gospel that the other gospels all include. And we need to talk about why. And it's helpful to know who this John is. Now, like any other book in Scripture, scholars love to debate who wrote it. it sometimes, in in <laughs> even though there's overwhelming evidence who wrote the book, they still love to debate these things. I tend to be a bit of a traditionalist. There's a lot of a, uh, 
information out there that this John was the John of the 12 disciples, the son of Zebedee. And so what we have here is an eyewitness account. This is somebody saying, I was there. I saw these things and I'm telling them to you. Now that's also true of Matthew. It's not true of Mark and Luke, although they studied and they spoke to eyewitnesses and they recorded those down for us. But John is one that was there. The other thing that's different about John's gospel is it was written much later. In fact, by the time he wrote his gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were probably well known by him. I think there's strong evidence that he was familiar with their content. He was purposely saying, hey, those guys did a great job. I'm going to write something a little bit different. The other thing that's interesting is John was quite old by the time he writes his gospel. John lived the longest out of all the apostles. I believe history records that he was the only one that died of natural causes. He lived to be very, very old. And in that living to be very, very old, he had possibly as many as 50 years of ministry from the time Jesus called him to the time he died. That's very different. And at some point later in his life, he sits down to write this gospel. So his account of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, is informed by and influenced by all of these years of sitting with people one-on-one and saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and hearing their response of getting up in front of crowds and proclaiming who Jesus is and seeing how people responded. In many ways, the gospel of John is the gospel of a pastor who's been in ministry for a long time. And he's not only talking about Jesus, but he's saying, let me interact with the questions I know you're asking because I've met so many people before you that asked the same question. Every gospel writer has what what we call parenthetical material. It means they're telling a story about Jesus. He went here, he did this. And then they'll throw in, as an author, something to explain what's going on. It might be the time that this was happening, the region that it was in, a, a little explanation from the author's point of view. John has far more than anybody else. He will record who Jesus is, what he's done, and then he'll put in these little mini sermons. And and you just hear the beating heart of somebody in ministry that says, don't miss this. I want you to hear who this Jesus is. I want you to know who he is. I want to answer those questions I know are ringing in your head right now. Don't miss this. John is very upfront about the purpose of his gospel. He spells it out plainly in John chapter 20, verse 31, at the end of the gospel. So I suppose that's not upfront, but you know what I mean. At the end of the gospel, he says... These are written, all these accounts, everything he's written down. He says, I want you to know why I wrote you this gospel. These are written that you may believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole point of the gospel of John. Frankly, it's the whole point of all of scripture, if I could be so bold. But John is very deliberate. He says what he says about Jesus, not just so you can know more about him. He says what he says about Jesus, not just so you can live a happier, more fulfilled life. He says what he says about Jesus, that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of the Almighty God, and the Savior and Lord of the world. And believe in him. 
There's some key themes in the book of John. One is the greatness of Jesus Christ. The greatness of Jesus Christ. John says more about the deity, the godness of Jesus, the equality that Jesus has with God than just about any other book in Scripture. But equally, along with saying how great Jesus is, there's a common theme woven throughout the gospel that people completely miss it. Jesus is very bold in his statements. He's very bold in his actions. And yet the people that hear those statements and see those actions miss who he is, one after another after another. And so, as we enter into this series, I want to challenge you, and I pray myself as well, don't miss this. Don't miss who Jesus is. It's good when we come to a sermon, and I try as a pastor to be very practical in my applications. I want to talk about how the Word of God relates to your marriage. I want to talk about how it relates to your relationship, your jobs, whatever it may be. And those things are good. But by and large, you're going to see that the main application of every sermon of this entire series is don't miss who Jesus Christ is. Know who He is. Believe who He is. And by doing so, have eternal life. So let's look at these first 18 verses from the book of John. And he starts out by saying, in the beginning was the word. This is the Christmas story in the book of John. It is a completely different Christmas story than you and I would expect. We want a manger. We want shepherds. We want wise men. They're not here. You get in the beginning was the word. Now, if you had grown up in a Jewish culture, and possibly even in a, a Christian culture, you might be familiar with this as well. But that phrase, in the beginning, would have immediately brought something very important to your mind. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. It is the foundation of all of Scripture. There is a God. He was there before the beginning. He made all things. He has authority, sovereignty over all things. All things exist for him and through him. It's his purpose and his plan. And John is tying into that. And this is how he introduces Jesus. He says, in the beginning was, and, and people would think, well, God. And John says, the word. And, and his listeners would have thought, okay, there's two options. Um, so either he's describing God by using the word. This, this is just another way of talking about God. This is God. That's one option. Or he's saying somebody else was with God, They're like standing next to him when creation happened. John, can you please clarify which this is? Is this God or is it somebody with God? Just help us out here. And he says, okay, I'll help you out. And the word was with God and the word was God. So his answer to the question, is it with God or is it God, is yes. Welcome to the Trinity. Jesus Christ is God. Is God. Equal to God. Everything you can say about God is true of Jesus Christ. Everything, without exception. All the power, all the glory, all the majesty, all the sovereignty, all of it. Jesus is God. Equally, we can say that Jesus is separate from God and that he was sent from God. He is a separate person from God the Father. He is with God and he is God. He is both. 
If your brain doesn't hurt at that, you're not thinking hard enough. The word that he uses here is logos, word. It's translated word for you. It's not so much word in terms of the things that are coming out of my mouth, the, the speech. That's part of it, but it's much bigger than that. In fact, it's kind of a vague word, this word, word. Logos. It can mean the spoken word. More appropriately, it would refer to the message, the content of what I'm saying, not just the individual words themselves. But it can also mean wisdom, an idea, a philosophy, a reason. It it can mean all of these things. So again, we need to come to John and say, are, are you talking about the ideas of God, what he thinks about in and of himself. Is this inside of God and it's part of who he is? Are you talking about something that's coming out of God being communicated, this message that is going out into the world? And again, I actually think what John is saying is, yes, Jesus is equal to God. He has the very thoughts of God, what God thinks Jesus thinks and vice versa. But he is also sent from God. He is the message to us from God. It is a very good word to use. And John is saying in verses 2 and 3, he was right there in the beginning. All the stuff that we see of this universe, everything that we see was made by and through Jesus Christ. And again, in their way of thinking, this was not just a scientific, how did things come to be? It is that, but it's more than that. To create something is to have authority over it in the Hebrew and Greek way of thinking. So to say all things were created by and through Jesus Christ is to give Jesus authority over all creation. How can you do that? Because he's God. You ever run into one of those people? Well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. The Bible doesn't actually say that about him. Read the book of John. It's all over. And so, here we have Jesus. He made all things. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, there's a reference back to Genesis 1. God creates light. He creates stuff. And he fills that stuff with life. Light and life are powerful themes in the creation account. And here, John is saying, God is still doing that. He's still bringing light that conquers darkness. And the darkness still doesn't get it, but isn't strong enough to overcome it. And he still gives life Even though we've walked away from him, he still is in the business of bringing light and life. So here is Jesus, the one who is equal to God and sent from God, the author and sustainer of all life, the light that shines into the world. And John picks up on this theme now, and he's going to play out these two ideas of light and word. So we're going to start with looking at what is he talking about with light. And he has that phrase, the darkness has not overcome it, or some says have not uh, understood it. But the idea throughout John is the incompatibility of these two things. Light and dark are opposites. And John's going to talk again and again about the opposites in God's kingdom. That God's ways are not our ways. 
And he's going to say, this is why people don't get it. Because we're so stuck in our ways that we miss what God is doing. And then he introduces us to John the Baptist. This is not John the Gospel writer. This is somebody else. It says, verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. There is actually a group of people still around today, and, and I, it seems like it was a group that was sort of growing in John's day that mistakenly were worshiping John the Baptist as the Messiah. And, and so he, John actually makes a point at several places in his gospel to say, no, no, you just missed the point of who John the Baptist is. He's always pointing to Jesus Christ. This group is actually still around today. They're called, uh, the, the, their religion is called Mandeism. I had never heard of it. I don't know where they are, uh, but they worship John the Baptist. But what John the Gospel writer is saying is, look at who John the Baptist is. Look at what he did. He came constantly saying, hey guys, it's not about me. Look to Jesus Christ. I'm not that light, but let me show you who is. I think in many ways, John, the Gospel writer, is using the testimony of John the Baptist to explain what John the Gospel writer is doing. And more than that, I think he's saying, hey guys, this is what you're to be doing. You need to be declaring to the world, I'm not the light. It's not about me. Look to Jesus. He's the answer. Don't miss who he is. And then verse 9, he goes on. The true light, which raises the question, there must be false light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. This is part of John's theme of people missing Christ. He uses these ironies. People that are made through Jesus, and yet don't even recognize who he is. That's ironic. They don't recognize He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That is a sad irony. And these themes run throughout. That these people, this creation, this world that should understand who Jesus is, is unable to accept him or even recognize him. Because because we're living in this world with our ways of thinking that are messed up by sin. And yet we come to verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him. And at this point, I think, and I'd love to sit down with John, the writer of this gospel, and and just talk to him. Because over his many years of ministry, I bet he has stories after stories. I met with so-and-so and and I shared the gospel with them and, and they walked away and they ignored me completely. I met with so-and-so and they, they yelled and screamed in my face and they rejected me and they kicked me out of their city. He has story after story of those people that didn't recognize Jesus, but I bet there's also stories. And I talked with this sweet woman once and I shared the gospel with her. I talked about what I saw with Jesus Christ and his testimony and the empty grave that I ran into and I saw and she got down on her knees and she prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And I hear all that in that phrase, yet... 
to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. As dark as it is sometimes in the book of John, and frankly as dark as it is sometimes in our lives, thinking nobody could possibly be changed. Nobody could come to understand who Jesus is. There is this shining light of these people that fall into that phrase, yet there are those whose eyes are opened and do see and receive Jesus. But he says, verse 13, these are children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And he's going to pick up those themes in John chapter 3 in his talk with Nicodemus. But the point here is very simple. Guys, this doesn't work the way you think it's going to work. God doesn't do things on our terms. He doesn't work according to the worldly ways of doing things. God brings his salvation his own way. We need to be very, very grateful for that. Jesus is the light of the world. Light shines. And sometimes it hurts our eyes. You know, sometimes my kids, God love them, but sometimes they don't get up on time. And, and I'm not very gracious, I have to admit. I'll just go in. If they didn't get up on time, I go in, I flip on the light. No warning, just boop. And, and you know what they do? They, don't, they pop right out of bed. Thank you, Father, for showing me the way, and I'm happy to get up. <laughs> exactly not what they do. No, they throw the blanket up over their eyes. Dad, why? Because it hurts. We don't like the bright light, especially when we're in darkness. And the gospel is the same way. The gospel is very encouraging. There's a lot of hope, a lot of encouragement, a lot of joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if sometimes our eyes aren't hurting when the gospel is preached and presented to us, if our hearts aren't screaming out, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to see it, then we have to ask ourselves, is it really the gospel? Because that light shines. And there's going to be times throughout this series you're going to go, man, I don't want to hear that. There's times even as I'm preparing that going, man, how do I stand up and preach that? I'm struggling with that myself. The light hurts at times. And yet it's the light of truth that gives life. And then he moves from this idea of light into this idea of the Word becoming flesh. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That word there for dwelling is the same as tabernacle. It means to pitch a tent among people. Jesus, truly God, the very presence of God came and pitched his tent in our neighborhood. He came to live with us. And it says the word became flesh. Now remember, the word is the infinite, powerful idea of God. It's the powerful communication of God, proclaiming both the identity of Jesus as God and his personhood as the one sent from God. It's this wonderful, powerful thing. And then he says that word became flesh. And the word there for flesh is interesting. It's, it's not a very sophisticated word. Well, there were other choices John could have used. He could have used the word for human. The word became human, anthropos. That's a much more sophisticated kind of philosophical word. He could have used that. He could have used the word for body. The, the word took on a body. 
Soma. He could have talked about that. But he used what's almost a vulgar word. I don't mean it's a bad word, a swear word, but it's, it's just very unsophisticated. It's almost crude. Sarks. Even the sound of it. It means flesh. It literally means just the skin and bones and the stuff of our bodies. It's a word that calls to mind a body that needs water. And if it doesn't get it, it gets thirsty and weak. It's a word that brings to mind the weakness of a body that dies without food. It's a word that recalls the the functions that, that mean that mommies have to change their baby's diapers because they're helpless. It's a word that, that encompasses smelly feet and sweaty armpits. It's skin that gets paper cuts and infections. It's sinuses that drip. It sarks. Notice what John is doing. See, in that world that you live in, that dark world, this eternal word of God took on that kind of flesh. He didn't stand far off and say, Ew, I'm not dealing with you. You're too gross. He said, I'm coming to you. And I'm coming in a way that you're going to understand. Don't miss this. And why did he do this? So that we could see his glory. Look at that phrase. Seems so easy. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is an eyewitness of Jesus Christ saying, I saw Him. Listen to what I'm saying. I saw Him. I saw the water turn to wine. I saw people being brought back from death to life. I saw the empty tomb. I saw Him. I've seen His glory. But there's a powerful thing I don't want you to miss in the Gospel of John. When John talks about seeing the glory of Jesus Christ, he immediately goes into his suffering. It's the Word that became flesh. Turn with me to John chapter 12, because I don't want you to miss this. I'm going to get a lot of use out of that phrase. John chapter 12, verse 23. This is toward the end of his ministry. And he's talking to people and he says, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's a powerful statement. This is it, guys. I'm coming into my glory. God is going to glorify me. And do you know how that's going to happen? And he says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So he introduces glory and then he talks about his death. That's what John does. You want to know the glory of Jesus? Look at his suffering. Turn to John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. He says, this is it. My hour has come. This is the grand moment of the Messiah. So what does he do? Dresses like a servant. And he gets down and he grabs the dirty, smelly, disgusting feet of his disciples. And he washes them. That's the glory of our Messiah. On display. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. 
Jesus is praying in the upper room with his disciples. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. This is verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And you know what happens in the next chapter? He's arrested. And he's put on trial. And he's mocked. And he's beaten. And don't miss the fact that all of that is the answer to his prayer right here. Glorify your Son. Jesus displays His glory and His suffering. And we can't miss the truth that He calls on us to do the same. Don't miss it. Look back at John chapter 1. Again, He comes back to John the Baptist. Again, testifying, He cried out saying, This is the one, this is Jesus I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Verse 16, out of his fullness, this is the fullness of the word, the word made flesh, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What is he talking about? What's this grace that's replacing another grace? Well, he explains it for us in the next verse. For the law was given through Moses. That's the first grace he's talking about. I grew up in a tradition rightly or wrongly, and and by that I mean it could have been my interpretation, my misinterpretation, that, that said law bad, grace good. That's not how Scripture sees the Old Testament law. David loves the law. He, he wrote at great length poems about the law and how wonderful it was that God had given them the law. How else would they know who God is and about his majesty and righteousness and justice, but also about how they should live? How would they know those things? They said, that's grace. It's grace that God would talk to them about those things. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever read the Old Testament law, you might get to points where you go, man, I'm not seeing a lot of grace here. I mean, it seems like it's about mold and mildew and infectious skin diseases, and it's not the most spiritual thing I've ever encountered. But picture this. You're a ragtag group of refugees traveling through the wilderness, called out of Egypt, going hopefully someday to your new home. And there God meets with you and he says, hey, if this spot appears in your tent, here's what you need to do about it so you don't die. Because they had no concept of those things. That's grace. The Bible from beginning to end is grace. And yet John says, God is doing something even more gracious because he didn't just send a prophet. He didn't just write words on a tablet. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. And again here we hear the beating heart of the Apostle saying, I, I saw Him. And I'm telling you about Him. And when I saw Him, and when you hear about Him, you are hearing about the very grace and truth of God. Don't miss this. Sometimes we hear about Jesus 
And it just doesn't fit with what we know. It doesn't fit with how we want to live. And so we just say, no, I, I don't care. I'm going to ignore it or I'm going to condemn it. Whatever I'm going to do, I'm going to fight against it. And maybe that's you today. Saying, I'm here because somebody dragged me here. I don't really want to be here, but it wasn't worth the argument, so I'm here. But I don't care about any of this stuff. I'm going to challenge you. The Word, the eternal God, became flesh to set up a tent in your neighborhood to come so that you might see Him. So that witnesses could proclaim to you who He is and what He's done. So that He could die on the cross in your place and raise from the grave promising you eternal life for all who believe. Don't miss it. Don't try to explain it away. Say, God, teach me and show me. Some of you have been following Christ for a while. Been going to church maybe for a while. You've got wonderful ideas and and wonderful stories of good fellowship and, and wonderful times of worship. Warm, fuzzy times that God has helped you with. And, and good, positive things in your life that, that God has shown you. And that's wonderful. But don't miss that Jesus Christ is so much more than that. He's not just here to help you feel better about yourself. Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Don't miss it. In the Gospel of John, we're confronted by the Word. The light of the world who shows us the way of God, the character of God, the nature of God, the glory of God, the grace of God, and the truth of God. And I pray as we walk through this, we don't miss who He is. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let's pray. Father, may we listen. May You give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might not miss the powerful truth of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.